I'm Erica Lynn, and we all know the ocean is the most demanding environment on Earth, consistently testing the reliability and durability of our equipment. When you spend as much time fishing as I do, you know that reliable gear is essential for staying on the water. This is why I went with Abyss Battery to power my trolling motor, electronics, and outboard. The guys at Abyss Battery are rattling the saltwater industry by manufacturing performance marine batteries specifically designed for sonar, outboards, trolling motors, and electronic fishing reels. They're also Bluetooth compatible, so I found Checking battery statuses right on your phone while you're out on the water is a huge game changer. To learn more about why Abyss batteries are used by the pros and factory installed by Premier Boat Builders, visit AbyssBattery.com. After years of fine print contracts and getting ripped off by overpriced wireless providers, if we've learned anything, it's that there's always a catch. So when I heard that Mint Mobile wireless plans are $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan, I thought, What's the catch? But after talking to them, it all made sense. There isn't one. Mint Mobile's secret sauce is that they sell wireless service online. They cut out the cost of retail stores and pass those sweet savings directly to you. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash waypoint. That's mintmobile.com slash waypoint. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash waypoint. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. Here in the Northern Rockies, dark winter months are outlasted in basements, dens, and nooks, where kindred souls gather together to share intel, swap fly patterns, and relive the memories from seasons past. This gathering spot known locally as the February Room is the inspiration for this podcast. No matter the season, the door is always open to those with a fly fishing story to tell. Brought to you by CD Fishing USA, the North American distributor for composite development fly rods and accessories. 40 years of Kiwi ingenuity and graphite technology now available at cd-fishing.us or your local CD USA dealer. Follow us on Instagram, YouTube, and Facebook. And remember to go fishing. Here's your host, the Carnops, and this is the February Room. Welcome, Lauren Carnop here, and today we have a special guest. So um, the fly fishing community is bound by our infatuation with fishing on the fly. But the other trait that many anglers have in common is the desire to give back, and that's through involvement with conservation and philanthropic organization. One person who encompasses all of that is Peg Niskin. She's the event coordinator of Cast One for Hope, and that's the signature uh, national fundraiser for Casting for Recovery. Thank you so much for joining me today, Peg. Thank you for having me, Lauren. It's great to be here. And I know that you have some amazing fishing tales because first off, I've seen your your post on the weekends of going on the river and catching tons of fish, but also you've been on a fly fishing film festival traveling all around the world. And I can't wait to hear one of your fishing stories today. It's funny, Lauren, when you asked me for that, I thought, I don't have any remarkable fishing stories. And then you start thinking about, oh, I remember this one. And oh, I remember this one. And it was kind of hard to pick. But what came to mind first was, for me, catching my first permit. And that was in 2015. Uh, My boyfriend and I had never been saltwater fishing. We went on a really great trip organized by Grizzly Hackle out of Missoula to Punta Allen, and we stayed at the Palometta Club. And I remember thinking, what is this with permit? I mean, yeah, they're kind of cool, but I don't really care. 
just want to go. I've never saltwater fished. I just want to open myself like a book and just take everything in, experience everything having to do with saltwater. And um, so that's how I went with no preconceived ideas. I was going to be happy if I caught a bonefish. And we arrived at Punta Allen. Um, one note I need to say is that up until I did Casablanca last March, I was always the only woman on every saltwater trip I've ever done. So um, kind of odd woman out, but actually it was kind of fun. Although I had to tell the guys, it's okay to drop the F-bomb. I'm fine with it. You know, I'm cool. You can do whatever you want. So <laughs> we had gone to Punta Allen in 2015, uh, my boyfriend Jay and I, and um, everybody was talking about permit. All the guys were talking about permit. And Jay and I'd never fished in that way. So we went out and did bonefish with a guide named Charlie and just had a great day. And I loved them. They were like little freight trains and I loved the sight fishing. And we were zooming back. I remember we were by an area down there that I'm going to call the three islands. Tres Amigos, I think is what they're called. And um, we were down there and we were zooming by the islands to go back to the lodge. And all of a sudden, um, one of the guides head turned and the boat did a flip to U-turn and we held on and they went back in this area and stopped the boat and then the guide looks at me and says out of the boat out of the boat out of the boat I jumped out of the boat got in the water not knowing what we were doing and I said what are we doing and he said palometta which is permit and I could look and see these tails and fins and I thought oh my god these are permit cool so I did my cast, probably very lousy, and doing the strip, where I call a hip strip, where you strip really slow from your hand to your hip, and felt just this little tap, tap on my fly. And I said, what was that? He said, permit. Well, I didn't get it, but I went, oh, and there was something about that connect right there and then that I got permit fever. So we went back to the lodge and um, the next day we were out again. And by then we were both saying permit. We don't want any more bonefish. We want permits. So we went out. <laughs> I actually did catch a permit that second day. It was about a 14 pounder. And I wow. remember first thing, you know, don't trout set. And I was really proud I didn't trout set. But the <laughs> power with which they take your fly is incredible and something I had never experienced. I have caught big trout, but nothing like this. And the speed with which your line goes out of your reel and you hear that whir. And at one point, Jay was up on the front of the boat because we're fishing on little pangas barefoot so you can feel the line. But he had to jump up and hold the back of my pants because I was afraid I was going to get pulled in. And this fish went way out. And then I'm, you know, get it on the reel, start to bring it back. It went out about two times and finally came back. And I remember clearly as if I was there right now, the first time when I jumped in the water with that fish and held it and was just so in awe of the beauty and the calmness of the, this fish and the power and the connection that the spiritual connection with this fish was like nothing else I'd ever had. And permit, I know most people know about permit, but 
they look like little puppy dogs and they're so mm-hmm. sweet looking and they hold so still and we got some pictures and went away and went back to the lodge and everybody was all the guys were going oh she got a permit her second day and it's her first permit we kept going on the trip and last day we're out and we're fishing again the weather had not been good the guides coriano i believe was our guide then and the weather was not good he was concerned about where he was going to get us to fish and on side note jay had yet to catch a permit so the pressure was on and which is not good when you're involved with someone and so <laughs> we i remember the bay that we were in and casting out and they saw the permit and boom i caught another one and i remember thinking oh this is so great and then thinking oh my god i can't do this if jay doesn't catch one i'm going to be in so much trouble so i just said hey guys i'm sitting out for the rest of the day let's get jay into a permit and so we eventually did and took a huge relief off my shoulders so that trip which was my first it was totally luck right place right time good guides and i got two mit permit my first trip um i've caught a total of five now but there's wow. something about them and saltwater for me after all these years of uh freshwater fishing the primal feel of the ocean and saltwater and the fish that you're catching is just something that's hard to describe so that's one that was probably a pretty memorable time for me Well, and the other thing with permit is that their mouths are so small. So you have to be pretty accurate and kind of with ocean fishing from I've only done it just a handful of times, but the idea that you have a fly on your line to particularly attract this one fish and there's so many fish in the sea, you know, yes. and it's pretty incredible that fly that you've tied is going to attract this one fish. And right. um that's pretty incredible and pretty amazing. Justin still has not caught a permit and he's yeah. been out there numerous times. So he would love to hear. <laughs> I think there's also like the energy, right? Like I think when you're casting, you're kind of setting this energy and you're like, you know, I just love being here and I think when you put so much pressure in it is when you tend to not catch fish. Right. And so um well, I have a I have one of the flags at the Palmetto Club when you catch a permit. they put a flag up and i was excited that first day to see the flag go up and i was the first per- i think i was the first person to catch one and i was the only one to catch two on that trip but i do have the flag here in my office even though they aren't supposed to let them out the owner gave it to me but when you talk about the energy out there the energy in the ocean and saltwater is so different when we were on that same trip We were out in a big bay and of course the guides can see everything and you're completely blind and can't see anything and they saw about 200 permit huge school and so we went over by it I jump out running along with the guides and these guys are built but they're short and you're holding on to their shoulder and bouncing in the water trying to stay afloat and keep everything together and running after these this big school and we went after this big school Jay stayed in the boat up on top watching and I was in the water with another guide and we got to the permit and th- by this time I went okay I know what I'm supposed to do and I cast my fly out 
and I saw one turn and start to follow my fly. And all of a sudden the water blew up, just like an explosion. And I went, oh, what happened? And he said, Baraka, which is uh, Barracuda. And he said, don't move. And I stood behind the guide and these 200 permit were coming right for us and then split around us like a perfect drill team. And on both sides were maybe eight feet from us. And that, that, talk about energy, that's the energy that I was so palpable to be in the water with these amazing fish and they're zooming by and you see all this silver flash and you maybe catch a hint of an eye going by really fast. And that energy is just not something for me that I find any place else except salt water. Well, and how you just probably feel so small in that moment too. Yes. And I know you said that this on this trip, you were the only female, but mm-hmm. not, well, how, guess how many years ago was that? Was that a year and a half ago when all you ladies? Right. 2019, right. 2019, we did the Christmas Island trip. How empowering was that to be on a trip with all women? Well, it was, it started out actually, I had organized, even though I can't tie flies to save my life, but I have caught a few fish with them, but I organized a women's fly tying group, you know, because we were getting kind of bored. And actually, Jessica Haydal Richardson, who you've interviewed, the photographer, Jenny West, uh, who's a buddy of mine and a guide here, we were all in, and Donna Witcher's another woman, we were all in this fly tying. And Jenny said, you know, we need to go somewhere, do a saltwater trip. Well, you don't say stuff like that to me if you don't mean it, because two weeks later, the trip was set with uh, Dave Cook um, out of Skinny Waters up in Missoula. He markets a lodge down at Christmas Island, and I reached out to him, and I put the trip together, pretty much handpicked who to be on the trip because I wanted women who knew what they were doing, women that I knew would get along with each other. We didn't want any, I didn't want any drama on this trip. No drama. No drama. And it was, I wanted the whole group, none of us to have been to Christmas Island. So it came together very quickly and um, it was incredible. It was, for one, it was so fun to be with a group of women. I mean, we did goofy things like painting our toes and, and um, as you saw in the movie, sitting around smoking cigars, I lit one. I didn't inhale though. <laughs> and um, but sitting around just talking women's stuff, and the, there was no pressure about who caught more. I mean, sure, like one of the women, Jerry Mayer, said, "Yeah, I'm really excited for her. God, I wish she hadn't caught that fish." But <laughs> you know, you're, but for the most part, there was no pressure. We were all just there to experience it. And so, yeah, that was, that was my first time on an all women trip and first time organizing one. And it came together so beautifully and it was just the perfect group of women to be on that trip. Well, the scenery was just incredible. What was your take on Christmas Island? Did you love it? I liked Christmas Island because again, I'll use that term. It was very primal to me, Mm -hmm. very remote. It wasn't staying in a nice lodge. The food was okay. We didn't live on peanut butter and jelly like everybody said we would. I had arranged actually for um, the lodge owners to ship on our plane some extra vegetables and stuff so that we could (laughs) eat pretty healthy because they don't have fruits and vegetables over there. Well, and it's... cost so much to even bring it there. And if it does, it's probably rotten by the time it gets there. Yes. 
So, yeah. And so we, it was in, it was in big tubs. We saw him loading the tubs when we were getting on our plane, but um, it was, I think what I liked about it was it was just so remote. The thing I liked the most about it for me personally was all the salt water I had done before, I've always been on a panga or a skiff, skiff or whatever, mm -hmm. and jumping out, sometimes jumping out of the water to go after something. A lot of times on the front of the boat, trying to balance, you know, that's when your yoga core really helps. <laughs> and, and this was not, we would go out on the boats. They were really cool pangas. We would go out two boats and we'd split up. The boat would drop us off with a guide, one guide for two anglers and away the boat would go. And so you were in the water for six, seven hours a day, um, unless the boat would come back and getting you maybe to another area, you would have your lunch that way. Um, but you were in the water the whole time and I'd never done that before. And that connection to the water, there were times, um, I have told people for me, there was times when I became the shape of water. I couldn't tell where I ended and the water started. Wow. I was just in it, part of it. It was like I had, it was almost like returning to the womb. I don't know what it was, but I just <laughs> couldn't that. get enough of it. And I'm, I'm a horrible swimmer. So it's amazing that I would do that. And sometimes it would get pretty high and I'd be bouncing along, you know, with the, with the tide a little bit. But um, I think for me, that was the part that I enjoyed. And I would get out of the water and get back to the lodge and I felt uncomfortable until the next day I could get back in that water. I was about to say, I feel like with the current, like constantly hitting your calves or your legs like that and your body's like mm -hmm. kind of like fighting against it or like going with the flow with it, like coming back on mm -hmm. land, your legs must have felt almost kind of like not comfortable. Yes. My legs were kind of squidgy. That's the only way to describe <laughs> it. It just felt weird. It just felt weird. But um, yeah, that trip was, that's one of those that I don't know. I would love to go back to Christmas Island, but sometimes, you know, those first trips are the ones that you just can't recreate. And I would never want to go back and have this and say, well, why don't I feel that way this time? So I don't know if I'll ever go back. I would love to, but part of me says, no, that was an A plus. Just leave it. I completely agree. Justin and I, I mean, this is kind of with hunting, but he had shot his, um, I called him a bull elk and he shot it with this recurve at this one spot. And for the longest time, we're like, we got to go back up there and do that again. And it's never been the same other than that one time where we shot it. And so it's one of those things that's so special that maybe it's like, you just got to leave it that way and explore other places mm -hmm. to make those new moments just as special. Yes. Um, Peg, I'm curious, how did you get into fly fishing? Because you did send me a, the most adorable photo of you with some fish. So I know that fishing is in your veins at an early age. So um, tell me about your story about getting into fly fishing. Well, I fished with my grandpa in Idaho. Uh, I was born and raised in Twin Falls, Idaho. I fished with grandpa down in the uh, Snake River Canyon there. Um, there was Bass Lake was down there. And then I fished the Salmon River. The picture I sent to you was me on the Salmon River in my grandpa's, um, they're not waders, in my grandpa's boots and wrapper. Yeah. But um, I didn't fly fish. That was, that was, seed was planted by my grandfather, um, you know, fishing worms and 
salmon eggs and I loved putting the worm on the hook. Never bothered me. I loved cleaning the fish. But then I got into ballet and boys and life <laughs> and all this stuff and never did it again. And I had moved to McCall, Idaho. Beautiful. And a beautiful place um, from California and from Southern California by then. And owned a restaurant and a gift shop there. And Ann Murphy came to town and did a women's fly fishing one-on-one thing. And I took it because my then husband wanted me to learn to fly fish instead of just sitting and watching him. And I took Ann's course and it just, I walked out of there going, this is it. Walked to the Orvis store in McCall, bought everything I needed. And that was it. And I had a really, really close friend. We're still very, very close, Cece Bennett who's still in Idaho, and uh, she took me fly fishing. And I caught my first little fish on the fly. He was so tiny that when I stripped him in, I got his nose caught in the tip top of the rod. But (laughs) I was so, I went, oh, I love this. This is so cool. And that's what ignited it and started me. And when I turned 50, um, I was back in Santa Rosa by then, and I didn't want a big 50th birthday party. I wanted to do a school. So I actually went, I don't remember if it was Lorianne's first or second all women's guide school, but I did that out of Jackson Hole and just immersed myself in fishing and the bugs and the knots and rowing boats. And um, her guides would row us in the morning while we fished. And then we would row the guides in the afternoon, which was, and learn how to back up boats, which I still have not been able to do. And it was just a wonderful weekend. And I remember at the end of that, I didn't want to come home because I had just found my Zen. I'd found my whatever I was missing in my life. And from then on, it just, it stuck with me. And I knew this would be something I would have for the rest of my life. Oh my gosh. I absolutely love that. I mean, I'm still trying to, I told Justin this summer, I'm like, I am going to be a better rower because I can do like small little stretches. But then like when I start mm-hmm. seeing, a, you know, kind of like little rough waters, waters up ahead, I'm like, Justin, you got to take it because I, I just, now that I've heard so many people's stories on this podcast of tipping boats, I'm like, I don't want to be one of those people quite yet. Cause I just don't know how to recover from that. Um, but I, I love agree. your journey of like, from, cause that's how I learned. I mean, it was taking worms and cheese even, mm-hmm. and just taking on, um, on my lower yes. and just, oh, Velveeta. Velveeta's awesome. <laughs> it's it's yeah. so true. Like, like what are you, what are you fishing with worms or maybe some cheese, maybe some white bread? Yeah. Um, how did you get to Montana? Well, I, um, I was in Santa Rosa and, um, we'll talk about casting for recovery later, but I was in Santa Rosa and, um, my marriage had broken up and I stayed for a year, but, uh, it was so expensive. This was in 2011. So I actually had been coming to, um, Montana specifically to the Bitterroot Valley fishing with friends. And in the back of my mind, I would say, Hmm, someday I'd really like to live here. Well, by then I was single and, uh, I was living in a little bungalow in Santa Rosa and, I was working by then for casting for recovery and we were already remote. Um, Back then our offices were in Manchester, Vermont, but we were scattered all over the country. So I realized I can live anywhere. I don't have to stay in Sonoma County. And as much as I hated to leave it and my friends, I knew economically it was the best thing to do. Plus I was 60 and I thought, you know, 
if you don't do it now, you don't want to be 90 and wish you had taken the chance. So I tested Montana in 2011. I rented a place for two, uh, for a month, two weeks in Missoula, two weeks in Hamilton and decided it was going to be Hamilton. I wanted to be in a small community where I felt like I could make a difference, but be close to a bigger city um, for some more culture. And um, so in 2012, March of 2012, I uh, hired movers and loaded my car up and moved out, didn't know anybody at all. Wow. And just came to Hamilton and rented a sweet little house um, from a great couple. And um, that's how I got to Montana. And I remember, I can remember times when I would come fish in Montana and I'd be driving home from fishing to the rental that, you know, whoever I was with, we were going to. And I remember saying, oh, someday I want to be able to get in my car and drive home and have home be here. And I would drive back to California and I would get to one of the truck stops outside of Sacramento. And I'd sit there and just kind of gather myself to get back into the fray of all the people and everything that was going on. And I remember when I first moved here in March of 2012, it was squala season. And I remember going out and fishing by myself and getting in the car um, and had the sunroof back on the car. And I thought, I am driving home and this is home. And it meant so much to me. And that for the longest time, I kept feeling like I was on vacation, that I was going to be going home pretty soon. And I went, no, this is home. And I've never looked back. I love Sonoma County. I certainly miss it in February, but um, <laughs> boy, I love it. I really love it here in the Bitterroot. It's a great community. And now a brief message from our sponsors. High performance graphite shouldn't break the bank. Check out the Tamer brand of fly rods for composite developments available in 5, 6, and 8 weight. An unbelievable value at $199, Tamer 4-piece fly rods deliver smooth cast and precise presentation. Our Tamer kits include a Fly Lab Pulse Reel and Weight Forward Fly Line, a river-ready kit for under $300. Go to cd-fishing.us or visit a CD dealer in Idaho, Montana, or Wyoming. And remember to go fishing. You know, I have those moments so much when I'm driving around Missoula and can't believe this is what I get to call home. But you have obviously some amazing work and I want to learn more. Can you tell me about uh, Cast One for Hope? Yes. So um, Cast One for Hope is Casting for Recovery's signature national fundraiser. And in one of the positions, I was national program director with Casting for Recovery for six years. And um, one of the things I realized that we didn't have a national fundraiser. All the programs do fundraising. The national organization did some fundraising, but there wasn't a big event. And so I figured, well, I'm in Montana. I mean, that's like the sexiest place to come fly fish. Sexiest. And let's do it. And, and so our um, executive, our then executive director said, sure, go ahead and plan one. So we did it. It was very small. Uh, didn't have a ton of people at the dinner. I was actually that first year giving some boat positions away, but then it um, started to rock and roll and people started coming and wanting to attend. And this year is our ninth year. So um, at this point in my life with Casting for Recovery, which has been pretty long, this is what I do is run this event. And 
Um, it's fun. We have 36 anglers that come from all over the country. All the angler positions are already sold out this year. Uh, the event this year is in September. It's September 25th, uh, 24th and 25th. And um, it comprises a kickoff party that I put together at either a big house or a venue. And then all these anglers who come from across the country, I can say 99% of the people who come fish in this event are not from Montana, which is very cool. And we have put them out on the water. I have 18 amazing, wonderful local guides. Um, you've actually interviewed Travis Craft. He's one yes. of my Cast One for Hope guides. And um, the guides guide our anglers. They donate their day, guide the anglers for the day. And then we have a celebration dinner with live and silent auction that evening. And the goal, yes, is to make money for Casting for Recovery because that's what nonprofits live on. But for me personally, the getting together of people from all walks of life, from all over the country, to support Casting for Recovery, and having in some way themselves been touched by breast cancer is the big part. And I always feel like if you, if you create that atmosphere for people of celebration and giving, then the rest of it will come. And um, I love it. It's, it's a lot of work, but I really love doing it. And so yeah, this is, our, this is my ninth Cast One for Hope this year. Can you give a little bit of more information about what Casting for Recovery is? Sure. Uh, we started in 1996 um, back east, and um, it was started by a um, breast cancer surgeon and um, an avid fly fisher, Gwen Perkins Bogart, who actually lives in Wyoming now. And um, we take women in all stages of breast cancer on support and education retreats, and we incorporate fly fishing. And initially, the fly fishing was about the fly fishing and getting women out and on the water. But it's become so much more now. Um, this is our 25th year. And uh, we will have 53 retreats this year across the country. Nice. And, um, and being the 25th year is a big year, I think, for us. But it now is connecting women to nature and being with other women in nature, and they're not in a real support group situation in a hospital or in a conference room, they're outdoors. They, a lot of them just completely forget everything. I, there's been so many times that women have said to me, I haven't thought about breast cancer the whole weekend. Mm. And yet we do have a medical uh, session that the women attend on Saturday. We have an evening event that the women attend with our uh, trained psych social facilitator. And then on Sunday, we bring in other local volunteers. This is where men can get involved and they can river help and fish with a woman one-on-one, -on -one, tying on her flies if she needs it, helping her catch the fish and guiding her. The fun part is that the women have learned about the bugs, the knots. They've had two casting sessions and that last day allows them to test that skill and 70% of the women who come to a Casting for Recovery retreat have never been to a support group. And when I launched the Southern California retreat years ago, I remember being shocked that even in an area as populated as Los Angeles, that 11 of the 14 participants had never been to a support group. Wow. And 95% and have never picked up a fly rod. I mean, the first thing that we tell them is it's not a pole, it's a fly rod. Yeah. And um, just watching what happens to them and they leave empowered. Um, 
and renewed and quite a number of them go on to fly fish. And I have ones that I have stayed in touch with since the very beginning, which was back in 2003 when I really started getting involved with CFR and um, still keep in touch with them. And they're out there fly fishing and they say that it, it saved their lives. It made them know that there was hope, there was the ability to do something and the ability to move on with their lives. And sure, we have women that, that are very sick and that we lose after the retreats and that's really hard. But I think what we all know, those of us who work for Casting for Recovery and our many absolutely wonderful volunteers that make the retreats happen across the country, we know that we may not be able to fix it. We can't take the breast cancer away or we can't take everything that's happened to them since the breast cancer that's affected their lives. But we can for a moment give them a respite and hope and strength and empowerment that life is important and that they can make it and that we will support them these three days and give them that gift. And that's the whole thing about Casting for Recovery. I think that's very wonderful. I absolutely love it. On a personal note, um, it was my kind of like my godmother, family friend, but we lost her to breast cancer a year ago and um, she battled it for, I mean, I think she battled it for 10 years, but she had a, we have a family cabin in Northern Wisconsin and she always would come and visit Mm -hmm. us. And she loved it so much that she bought the cabin across the lake. And um, her last day was going on the pontoon boat and um, you know, and it's one of those things that it is so hard to watch somebody go through that for so many years and for Mm -hmm. an organization to support women on the water, to commute, like to have this community of women support each other. I just, Mm -hmm. it touches my heart. And I know that I'm not the, because obviously you are with women who go through these life-changing events. And I think there's not a whole, I mean, I think there, I think everyone, it's safe to say that somebody, everybody knows somebody who's been affected with breast cancer. Mm -hmm. Do you think that's Mm -hmm. safe to say? I think so. And, um, you know, it's interesting. I've had people say to me over the years, well, there's so much being done for women with breast cancer. What about other cancers? And there is a lot being done for women with breast cancer, but we turn away so many women. We don't have enough retreats. Mm -hmm. Um, for all the women that want to come to Casting for Recovery. And sometimes women will try two to three years in a row. At this point, if you've tried a certain number of times, you're automatically in. But um, the number of women that want to come to our retreats is um, lets us know that we're still on the right track. There yes. are organizations that serve women that have all kinds of cancer. Um, but staying with fly fishing works for us. I mean, initially... You know, the motion of fly casting um, can be therapeutic for all those muscles that have been disturbed and the uh, the lymph nodes that have been disturbed from surgery or otherwise, but it goes way beyond that. And I soon found that out from my first retreat I ever attended. And then when I started going to retreats, I thought, oh, this, even though the women really get excited about the fly fishing, it's not really all about the fly fishing. It's what that vehicle does to get them where we want them to be for that weekend. Absolutely. I interviewed someone from Project Healing Waters and yes. um, it was mm-hmm. about doing the small things from like tying flies or just putting the, it it, it triggers something in the brain to kind of create, create more like relaxation. And you do mm-hmm. probably lose that when you're kind of, I imagine having a diagnosis 
with breast cancer can cause maybe some post-traumatic stress where it's like, yes. oh my gosh, what do I do next? And initially, I don't know that we, yeah, initially, I don't know that we really had that in our brain. Um, PTSD was not a buzzword yeah. back then, but we certainly are aware of it now. And um, absolutely, that's one of the things that we deal with in our psychosocial session. And that's one of the things that we deal with when we are and are aware of when we're with women. There are some women you can clearly tell there's some major stuff going on. And, you know, there's other things that have happened in their lives. I mean, there's women who will come to a retreat and they've gotten divorced, their husband left them. And they've said, I remember one woman say to me at a retreat I was at, and she said, well, he left me because of the breast cancer. And I said, no, he probably was going to leave yeah. you anyway. And there probably were things going on that you were, were not aware of. And the breast cancer just triggered it. And she said, you know, I think you're right. I think you're right. And I said, and you need people who love you and are strong around you. And sometimes people can't handle this. And as hard as it is, I can imagine for you, this is when you need to be around people that can support and be with you. And if he can't do that, then he needs to go and you will be okay. And, and kind of like what you said about when you went to Christmas Island with all the girls and like how much fun it was to just sit by the fire, smoke cigars and not talk, you know, it's, it's really about yeah. the, um, the people and the group of friends that you have and the relationships that even get even closer. I mean, I've been with women yes. after going on camping trips where I'm like, oh my gosh, like, why don't we hang out more? Like i adore you. You're so, yeah. your, your barriers kind of go down when you're in nature. But do you also find that when you've been with them in nature or a situation like that, when you get back and you try to connect with them when you're back, it's good, but it's maybe not quite the same. Oh, 100% where you're just like, uh, you feel like warriors out there, right? Because you're like, we mm -hmm. did it all on our own. Yeah. And then you kind of come back to like the grind of things and you talk mm -hmm. about things and monetary things and kids. And it's just like, oh, wow, before we were up on that mountain, we're like, who's going to be chopping some right. wood? Like, yeah. who's cooking the eggs? Yeah. yeah, it does take it away. Yeah. yeah, I never even thought about it that way before. Um, so Peg, I know you said that um, you guys are having, is it the ninth ninth year of the Cast yes. One Hope? So when is yes. the plan that that's still going on with COVID? It is. Now, last year we had to cancel all of our retreats and the cast one. And initially we were trying to go on with the cast one, but when I started seeing our retreats cancel, I thought, well, if, we, if we're not gonna have a retreat, we can't have 200 people in a room. And so we canceled the cast one for hope last year and went to a virtual one hour live stream event out of Bozeman um, with our executive director, uh, Faye Nelson and Missy O'Malley, who is just a kick-ass auctioneer, I have to say. And we did a one hour live with them with paddle rays and live auction. And then all the silent auction items, which I gather almost all of those, um, went into our annual November online auction. This year, um, we are launching retreats. Normally we would have started with a Texas retreat in April but we've pushed everything and now the retreat season is going to be starting in June. I believe upstate New York is one of the first ones that's going off. And we have COVID precautions in place for the retreats this year. Um, one of which is that all participants, the breast cancer survivors, all volunteers and um, all of the river helpers that are coming and 
the staff, the volunteer staff, all have to have been vaccinated. And so at the Cast One for Hope, uh, we're, it's not my concept that we're going to be making that restriction, but we are going to go ahead and have it here in Hamilton. I've already got everything all set up with the venue, but um, we're going to lessen the number of people that are coming to the event so that I can spread people out a little bit more. Our hope is that the majority of people by then, by September 24th, 25th of this year, will have had the opportunity and have been vaccinated. And um, that's what we're going to go with. And we're hoping if we get to a point where it starts getting weird and going sideways again, then as hard as it will be to cancel it this year, especially our 25th year with Casting for Recovery, um, you know, we'll cancel it and go back to virtual. The fun thing about this year's event is that um, our one of our founders, Gwen Perkins Bogart, as I said, who lives in Wyoming, is coming to the Cast One for Hope dinner with her husband, Dave, and will be there. So our 25th year, we're going to have one of our founders with us. And um, she actually runs dog sleds. She's She has an amazing history in Alaska. And um, she's going to be donating for live auction um, sled dog. You'll be actually be able to go be with Gwen in Wyoming and run your own dog sled with six dogs, which is crazy. Have you done it before? Oh, no. Oh, no. Um, I thought she was just going to give them rides and I was talking to her and she said, no, what we decided we do is it'll be for two people and each one will get their own dog sled and we'll do a practice <laughs> run and then we'll do like a five or 10 mile run with dogs, only six dogs, which I think only is, 10 miles. Fun. Yeah. Five to 10. She said. <laughs> so, but this is how Gwen is. And so Gwen will be with us at the cast one this year, which is really cool. So I'm really hoping we can carried off and hoping that you know people will feel safe and protected we will do everything we can to make people feel good about being at the event this year um is there still space available if people wanted to sign up or is it booked? oh yeah yeah so what we the angler positions are booked up and nobody's backing out of those yet knock on wood everybody's good. just you know aching to get out here and go fishing but um, yes, we have tickets available for the Friday night and the Saturday night celebration dinner. Again, we're going to be reducing the number from 200 to about 150. So anybody who wants to come join us for that dinner um, or the kickoff party on Friday needs to get in and get a ticket because we will be shutting that off. And where do they get the ticket, Peg? Um, they can go online. They can actually go to um, castingforrecovery.org, our main website and then get on the fundraiser uh, fundraising drop down and there is a niche for cast one for hope and that gets you into the event gives portal and you can buy your tickets there the other thing that people can do if they aren't able to come to the event is every year i put together a raffle trip and uh, people can buy tickets at this same site on our website um, and it's a raffle ticket to usually a great lodge and some fishing. Um, last year we did, I did World Cast Anglers and they get to, they stayed at the Teton Valley Lodge. So the woman from back east who won that last year, we still had it, is going to be at Teton Valley and World Cast Anglers, which are amazing places, um, this year. But this year I thought, this is our 25th, I'm going to go big or go home. So I reached out to Firehole Ranch which is an iconic uh, Montana fishing lodge. And they graciously agreed to donate a three-night stay 
and a two days of fishing, the value of that trip is (laughs) $5,300. And so you can buy a ticket for $50 with a chance to win this trip. It will be for the 2022 season. So that's a fun way for people to be involved and support Casting for Recovery and take the opportunity at winning this amazing trip here in Montana. That is incredible. And I, I mean, we've got, I mean, no, some people have gotten some stimulus checks. So think about it. If you, one person mm-hmm. got 1400 just $50 and you might win this incredible yeah. trip worth more than your stimulus package. Oh, that's a good way to look at it. I just thought about that. I always think about that. I'm always like, hmm, yeah. your return will be greater. <laughs> the possibilities yes. is endless. Yes. Um, Peg, if people, if people have any questions and want to reach out to you personally, is there um, mm-hmm. a social media that they can reach out to you on Instagram or Facebook? Well, I'm on Instagram and Facebook myself personally. Um, my Instagram tag is Peg. And then I'm Peg Miskin um, personally. We do have a Cast One for Hope Facebook page um, that they can look for. It's just Cast One for Hope 2021. And people can reach out to me directly. I don't, is it, if it's okay, I can give my email. Absolutely. If, um, if you're, yes. It's Cast, my email is Cast One, C A S T O N E, at castingforrecovery.org. And anybody can reach out to me with questions or if they want to be involved through donating whatever for live or silent auction, absolutely. And I'm happy to help anybody get involved in the cast one. Oh, I well, and plus you might have that opportunity to get a fishing trip of a lifetime. And then you can come on this podcast and tell me about this incredible (laughs) story. Well, um, Peg, before we sign off, I'd love to hear one more fishing story from you. Um, One of the things that as I think people understand casting for recovery has been such a great part of my life since 2003, but I was lucky when I was a volunteer uh, running the Northern California program, New Zealand decided to launch a program and a good friend of mine um, and I decided that we would volunteer and fly over to New Zealand on our own and train and launch the New Zealand casting for recovery program. This doesn't happen with international programs, but my friend Sally Stoner and I decided that we were going to do this. So, um, and we were all set. We were saving our money. We were going to go over and train the team and start the retreat and get them launched off. And not too long before we were getting ready to get airline tickets, I got a call from Air New Zealand who had gotten wind of what we were doing and they offered to pay our airfare to go over and back. So that opened up a whole new can of worms, pun intended. And so Sally and I decided we would go launch and then stay for two weeks and fish. Well, I'd never been to New Zealand. She had. And I was very busy at the time. She set the whole trip up. All I had to do was meet her at the LA airport and we took off. But we were out fishing on the Macaulay River. And I had never done the kind of, I hadn't done a lot of sight fishing. You don't blind cast in New Zealand. And we were with a guide and we were walking along the Macaulay River and I could, you could just see the shadows of these big fish and they're very skittish. And our guide, Paul, said, do you see that fish over there? And I said, yeah. So he helped me and I had to cross the river, which was glacial blue and running. And I stood on top of a rock and Paul was right there kind of holding me on top of the rock. He was standing in the river and he said, you have one cast. So I cast and the fish took it, I think it was a cicada, took my fly and takes off. And I'm going, oh God, what do I do now? And Paul 
grabbed me around my uh, waiter straps and he goes running across the river, holding me up. My feet were circling around like I was on a bike in the water because I was trying to run, but my feet were not touching. And he drug me across to the other side of the river, planted <laughs> me and said, run. And so then I start running because you don't want the fish to get too far ahead of you or below you and running on rocks. And so Sally was running along with me, holding me up by my waiter straps so I wouldn't fall <laughs> and caught this absolutely gorgeous, huge New Zealand fish. And that was one of those times where I thought, another time in my life where I've thought, look at what I have been able to experience being involved with Casting for Recovery. I got to come to New Zealand. I got to meet uh, the Kiwi people who blessed our retreat and blessed us give the gift of CFR to these women in New Zealand. And I got to experience this amazing fishing. So that was, that was another really fun fishing story. No pressure though. When someone says you get one cast, I always hate when it's like, you get one opportunity and then I screw it up and he's like, well, it's done. It's over. And I'm like, Oh, it was just that one moment. I dismissed it. Yeah. Can I try again? Nope. He's gone. (laughs) Well, thanks again, Peg, so much for joining me today. And I look forward to meeting you in person. Um, You're only just a hop, skip and away. We should probably get you, me, um, Jessica and Jenny West together. And maybe we'll just have Travis. We'll have Travis take us on the... (laughs) Well, and Jenny, I forgot to mention that Jenny's also one of our Cast One for Hope guides. So... Great group. Yeah. I love those guys. Great group. It sounds like too much fun and it seems like I need to be involved in that. So um, keep me posted. And thanks again, Peg. Go to the FebruaryRoom.com where you can access a complete library of our podcast and read more about our guests, their fishing stories, and favorite fly patterns. We're always looking for exceptional fly fishing yarns. And if you have one to spend, shoot us an email at info at the FebruaryRoom.com. The February Room is always free, but if you feel like throwing a nickel in the pond, we appreciate any additional listener support. For companies and individuals interested in sponsorship opportunities, please contact us for our media kit. Thanks for stopping by the February Room, and we'll see you down here next week. After years of fine print contracts and getting ripped off by overpriced wireless providers, If we've learned anything, it's that there's always a catch. So when I heard that Mint Mobile wireless plans are $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan, I thought, what's the catch? But after talking to them, it all made sense. There isn't one. Mint Mobile's secret sauce is that they sell wireless service online. They cut out the cost of retail stores and pass those sweet savings directly to you. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan, for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash waypoint. That's mintmobile.com slash waypoint. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash waypoint. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details.